welcome to the Soccer Coaching Podcast, brought to you in association with our friends at Soccer Coach Weekly, reflecting our shared ambition to help coaches have the most effective, enjoyable and successful coaching journey for them and their players. We hope you enjoyed this episode and thanks for listening. Temi, welcome to the podcast. How are you? Um, great. Thank you so much, Scott. It's an absolute pleasure to to be on the podcast and honestly, great work that you're that you're doing. Oh, thank you so much. Thought so you're saying that now. Wait, and now you might change your mind, but <laughs> hopefully not. Um, we were saying very briefly before we hit the call button. I feel like I, I know you already because I, I watch so much stuff that you put out on Twitter and the stuff that you thank share you. and things, and it's it's brilliant. Um, hence the reason we were keen to get you on the podcast. And like lots of guests, you were straight away, yet yeah, no problem at all, and, and giving up some of your time. So thank you so much. It's it's very much appreciated. Thank you, and it's a privilege, as I say, it's a privilege. But uh, honestly, it's all it's all ours. But how are things? Really good, thank you. Very good, as 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 you said. Uh, online has been great. Just being able to share and add value to to coaches, especially from the journey that I've had to date. And there's there's so much more to go, but uh, I just wanted to to do the best I could to to add that value to to coaches, um, whether at the start of the journey, whether those middle, those who are a bit more experienced. Um, and I've had fantastic feedback, and it just really encourages me to to do more you did good well we like that we want more so fantastic brilliant <laughs> okay well look we, we got an hour or so to talk through a few things um you know I, I think part of our conversation is going to be maximizing coach delivery so how we can be really good at what we do um to be honest with you, it was a very broad yeah. topic because with you i could have speaked to anything there's a thousand one <laughs> things we could have chosen so maybe i've been a bit unfair by making it too broad but let's see but that's kind of the, the general theme to it but for those that don't know you or haven't seen the stuff you've been putting out there do you mind just doing a bit of background to kind of your journey and what it is you currently do sure yep uh so i've been fortunate enough to be a football coach for over 13 years i've Worked across five different elite academies. Um, that's both within the uh, within the girls' side and uh, the boys' side. So I've worked at Tottenham Academy, Fulham Academy, Arsenal Academy, um, and then through the female side, I was at Cambridge Centre of Excellence for for girls, and then also Fulham's as as well. Um, and currently, I am the founder of Excellence Academy. So. Myself and my um, coaching partner, uh, Josma, we look at supporting grassroots coaches as well as grassroots players, in addition to players who are currently at academies or those first team who want to add to their technical development um, and just to get a bit more support. Um, I'm a licensed coach, do my advanced youth award as well. And then, you know, social media, um, I try to share as much as I can about journey and my journey and also coaching sessions and plans and giving ideas to to coaches. So on Twitter or X, uh, as we know it now, uh, LinkedIn as as well. And I recently last year started a newsletter called the Coaches Newsletter, just to give another deep dive into the experience that I've had and to add more value to, to coaches on a weekly basis. And tell me, coaching-wise now then, how much time are you out on the grass or the Astro doing stuff now? Or is it kind of more the Extra Academy's work that you're doing? Is that your main focus? Yeah, so the the, the Extra Academy work, that's that's be my main focus. So um, I'm doing a lot more individualised stuff. So uh, players who are um, on the cusp of, if you like, going first team, going into youth, um, going into the um, professional development phase of the under-18s um, as well. 
So that's that's where I'm at at the moment. And for those of us that don't often get a look peek behind the curtains at the professional yeah. academy world, and I don't name names or you know, I don't want too much detail here. I appreciate you got me sensitive around these things. But obviously, you've had a background working at Arsenal, Spurs, Fulham, other places. Is there much difference at that level? And uh, like, not the, the plan. I'm sure the players are fantastic, but in the way that the clubs go about things, is there a very different culture at one place compared to another, or different a different approach to how you develop the players, or, or, or is it similar? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. At, at the heart of it, um, of course, the players at the um, at the centre, and but the way and this is where the philosophy comes into comes into play. Um, the way how players are then supported from the footballing sense is is obviously um, different across the different uh, academies. And then the structures that they have in place. So, for example, I, I was at also Southend United, and of course, as a Category Three academy you won't have as much financial backing as the cat ones um so it's you you don't have as many staff members for example the facilities that you have obviously it's a stark contrast um but but at the essence obviously player development is is at the core fantastic and do you have like a favored age group that you like to support (laughs) you in in the system or is it like the young ones better than the older ones or did you not really mind (laughs) Uh, do you know they've all taught me so much um even from when I was a, a grassroots coach I remember coaching three three-year-olds I had about 17 of them and it was just it was fantastic to see some of them are picking up are picking grass I'm trying to manage the game I'm holding two <laughs> yeah. of their hands as I'm running so you know those moments are are, are great just in terms of engagement and then obviously at the top end when you see the level of um technical ex- execution of some of the players who I've been privileged to work with. It's it's really a joy to behold. Interestingly, so I was actually focused on going all the way to the first team um, and being a manager, influenced by people like Andre Villas-Boas and Marinos as he's coming up. But working in the academy system, seeing how many players come into the system and then go out, um, I personally wanted to try to support that as best as possible so for me I think my best most enjoyable age group if you if I had to stick to something is probably going to be 15s okay 15 yeah. 16 yeah 15 right. 16s yeah. I've got 15s now and yeah like to be fair we've had them for a while so they're all right but you do get um what else I'm gonna say is obviously they're becoming their own people aren't they very much so you know you don't yeah. get as much, you, like they're, they're a great group of lads they're really good but you ask a question you might get a grunt or so and these are kids I've known for like 10 years that usually wouldn't shut up but uh, they're at that age brilliant thank you for that um and obviously you've done this for 13 years and I look at coach like you and the stuff you put out there and where you've got to and I always think you must have been brilliant from the beginning and you probably were um but <laughs> <Far you know, laughs> if you go back 13 years ago like I'm not yeah. saying whether you're good or bad I'm sure you, I'm sure you've learned loads yeah. but you know has your thought process towards coaching changed over 13 years or did, did you see coaching 13 years ago and you still the same now or, or you know yeah. do you look at a different light now you've gone through I think you've gone through with the badges and the experience and yeah. stuff like that so really good question again. And uh, very interestingly, I didn't actually start out looking to to be a coach. I was actually on the journey to be a doctor. Oh, wow. Um, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, mid, midway through. Was it the money through... that turned your mind, was it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so mid, midway through, it was actually football manager. So I was. Oh, yeah. well, that's got a lot, of, <laughs> a lot of people, hasn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I was an avid football manager fan, like I'm sure a lot of uh, coaches uh, are aware for about best part of 10 years and I decided actually no this is what this is what I want to do so I I had I had to I had to set a 10-year plan because I thought to myself well 
the players that I watch, like Lampard, Gerard, etc., they're going to be coaches in 10 years' time. And I've got to really be able to ensure that I can, um, if I'm ever going to be at that level where maybe I'll be coaching alongside them, I've got to make sure that I dedicate myself to this craft. Um, so that's what I did. Now, very interestingly, I think coaching is actually a very simple art now. Whereas before it seemed very complex to me, and not to say that there isn't complexities within it, but I think it's very sim- simple. Um, the simpler you can explain it uh, to players, whether it be your coaching session, um, whether it be uh, a tip- particular type of play, tactics, etc. Honestly, the, the easier that it is. And for me, the first part, part of call is getting to know the players. Who is the player in front of you? What do they care about? what drives them, and then you provide the environment for, to facilitate their goals. Um, and so for that that's where I would start. That would be the, the starting point. Um, and you obviously will then do that through the coaching sessions, through personal interactions, tournaments, game days, all of those different uh, contexts. And then whereas, again, whereas before I thought, okay, coaching, very practical, you put on the session, cones, bibs, et cetera. Now I really consider coaching as a psychological discipline um, and discovery at the heart of it. So um, you're really providing a foundation from a psychological perspective. And when the when you have the practical delivery element, that might look different. But fundamentally, it's a psychological support discipline that you're trying to create. So, for example, um, if you have know, poorly behaved, poorly managed behavior, there's an attitude of disorganization, etc. It really doesn't matter what session you put on. It doesn't matter what your tactics are because the players, you won't be able to bring everything together. You won't be able to make sure it's enjoyable for the players. And so I've really focused on that as an as, as a key element now. How do I create a, a particular mindset within the within the session, before the session, so that actually what we then go to do um, coaching uh, as a coach will um uh will will be at the highest level possible. Couldn't agree more, Timmy. Do you think the coaching qualifications support that as well? I, I agree. I think we as a coach you learn actually the X's and O's are quite important, but actually they're not as important as the environment you create and the, the other yeah. stuff around it. And I, I never felt the youth awards were very good actually at prime some of that stuff. But I felt mm. I've learned more of that for experience and just you know making mistakes. Um and I've started the UEFA-B now, and that UEFA-B is still very much like technical and tactical stuff, which is yeah, great. And yeah, I need that yeah, as a coach. Yeah. I need that. But yeah. do, do you think we lose some of that or, or don't get enough focus on that, the environmental side and the psychological side on our journey from the official kind of, I guess, the coaching courses? Am I being a bit unfair? So I, I think more so now, I would definitely say when I did my UEFA-B license, it was pass or fail. So it was pretty much, I've got to really know what I'm doing here from a from a um, design of a of a session, from uh, the the tactic the tactical element, what I want my players to do on the pitch. So the environment wasn't really discussed as it is now with you see with the youth modules and even with the the B and A licenses now. Um, and I did my A license in the uh, uh, a bit later, whereby you you you're focused on the context. So the um, uh, so when I had uh, Ben Bartlett, for example, who was my tutor, he'd look at the the context and then you'd be able to deliver from there. Um, but the environment is is crucial. And I, I I think it is something that still needs a little bit more 
um, depth of of looking at and how to create create those environments. Um, but then at the same time, I do appreciate that the context that coaches are working in, especially at grassroots, is sometimes very difficult to do that if you've literally just come from work and you're trying to get there in time, get the players together, do a session. You've got to come off before maybe the, the guys who've booked it for hockey are coming on. So it, it can be very difficult to to do that in 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 some of the contexts that coaches have for sure yeah brilliant thank you so much okay well look let's get into the meat of the conversation that's all right you might have touched yeah. some of the things already um but like i said at the start i thought with you and the stuff you've you've, you've shared like there's so much in there i kind of got them if, if i got a chance to what we talk about and I guess I landed on like, just how would you got your top tips really for maximizing coach delivery? If you were like, you know, not telling coaches what they should and shouldn't do, but your top yeah. tips, so tell me top tips for like, you know, actually if I'm coaching a group, these are things that I want to make sure I've kind of got in that session that's really going to help them develop individually and collectively. And I appreciate that's a massively open question. And I've probably said, no, um, of course. Of course. If you got to, <laughs> we, could, we could work through them maybe. I don't know if you've got anything that you can think of that actually, actually that's got to be in there and we can talk yeah. about it. Very interestingly, actually, um, today and over the next two days, um, I've I've set I've set up some posts actually around the process to go through for a session plan. Now I've got twenty six steps in there. We don't have to go through twenty six. Let's do it. I'm up for it. <laughs> but they're in they're, they're in they're in three parts. Um, and for me, the, the the first thing, obviously, you have to look at philosophy, game model. Um, what's the philosophy of your of your club from? an attacking sense to defending, to counter-attacking, to counter-pressing. And you've got to make sure that anything that you do is related back to and is true to the philosophy and game model. Um, especially when you're when so when you're at an academy, you are an employee of the of the club. And yes, we do have our own ideas and there is that flexibility to be able to um put your stamp on things, but at the same time you are buying into a philosophy and you have to respect that there are there's work and there's a body of work that's gone behind that and um to give the players a best chance to be able to thrive and survive and strive through that academy you have to make sure whatever you're delivering is true to that because if they then for example they're under 15 under 16 get called up under 18s if they haven't been practicing what you have been doing in relation to the philosophy then it'll be you, you haven't set up the player to do very well at that level so it's very important to ensure that you're you're sticking to that something that uh, a friend of mine years ago told me that transformed how I approach session planning he just said to me very simple tell me look at the game so I was buying I can't remember how many session books I, I bought um, with thousands of session plans nothing wrong with that but he said to me look at your players look at the game what is the game telling you? What are the scenarios in the game? And design your sessions from there. And since then, I've never bought another um, book at all. Again, there are so many fantastic books out there, but that's the way that I've um, that I've then gone on, on my journey, and it's, it's it seemed to have have worked. Well, I, I guess I'm thinking, I mean, obviously, if you if you spin it like you spun it around, then at least what you're developing or designing is specific to you as the coach and your players' needs, right? And straight away, yeah. even if it wasn't the best practice or the best session, you know, it's the most relevant one, right? Because you've done it for your players and based on what you can teach rather than getting a great session off, off the peg somewhere that actually you're exactly. trying to crowbar in. Ex exactly. And, you know, we can be encouraged by and inspired by 
Pep, he yeah. does, you know, Pep, Mourinho, etc. The, the the top coaches um, who are really the the geniuses in 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 the game in that level. Um, but but we don't know what they are looking at. We don't know um, why they've designed it in that specific way. And so it's difficult to be able to um, to be able to translate it at times to your to your context. So still still take those sessions okay yeah i'll take i'll take bits of those sessions but then i'll translate it to the context that that i have yeah. um and and you want to make sure that you're encouraging the players and not demotivating them by giving them something that may be a bit too much of a stretch for them yeah. just because actually it's something that you've seen at, at, at a higher level um and then definitely planning with the end in mind so you want to set your sessions um and have the and have minimal movement required of your sessions so for example if you've designed a session and you've had your you have your warm-up you have your, your skill-based practice or a, um, or a technical practice and then you looking at and then you're looking at an ssg after that or um you know 636 7 try to have minimal movement between um you want to try and keep the players engaged as as much as possible yes of course they go and have breaks so or you stop sessions at times to um to give them specific information but you want to minimize that disruption because as the time goes by, what happens? Players start wanting to kick balls around and there's nothing wrong with that. That's what they're there to do. But it means that you haven't really organized in a way that allows them to go from one to the other, to the other seamlessly. Um, and then in terms on that of that one, the, so we call that one de de layering, where we're like we put out yeah. all our cones for the whole session, we and we layer back. So then, like suddenly by the end, you're down to just the, like the games cones and the, and a couple Fantastic. of balls. And, um, we don't always get it right, and some get <laughs> some gets a bit more work to it. But you're so right again. I remember having, I remember the when I used to start coaching at the beginning, you'd have like three different areas marked. So we use half a field just because I could yeah. <laughs> I couldn't rearrange the spaces, uh, moving the kids around to the different things. But actually, I guess that's an art in itself, and it de layering back to the to the exactly to the, the end I love in mind. That. Exactly, delayering. Um, and then in terms of session, one of the things I cannot stress enough is let the session breathe in the first few minutes. You have to let the session breathe. You, and what it gives you, it gives you time to be able to understand, okay, if what I had in my mind of what I've um, written down and drawn out, is it, is it does it look like what I had in, in mind? How are the players responding to it? Give give them a few minutes to, to to get to know the session. If it's a new session as well, especially um, which they haven't which they haven't done before, give them that time, give them that chance. If you need to change something, okay, after three minutes, right? I'm just going to move the cones two three yards. Brilliant. Um, and then the players can can then maybe start doing some of the movements that you um, had planned for. But let the session let the session breathe. I think one of the things that I was guilty of definitely early on, as soon as something doesn't go right or I seemingly go right in the first 15 to 30 seconds right stop there stop down still um you didn't do this x da, 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 da. no let it breathe if it hasn't okay right we're just gonna stop the session here I just want to move th these cones all right it's a bit bigger play and the players know themselves like, oh yeah great thanks coach yeah you fixed it in a moment yeah what about um with regards to repeating sessions, I mean, do, do you, yeah. would you be, are you happy repeating your sessions? Like, you know, I'm not saying like for the next 20 weeks, but would you like go back yeah, and revisit yeah. a session again to let the players build on what they might have done last time or introduce new challenges? Definitely. So, um, for example, at Arsenal, we used to do a 4v4 um, plus three, and that would be a session every single start of the session. 
that's what the the players would do and they they loved it and so it got to the point where we said okay well um this player can you go in can you go and start off the session here with the 44 plus 3 and we leave them too and they can just organize themselves and they can then go and and and, and play from there and the benefits to that is that one you get to play quickly players know what they're doing or already and can organize themselves um, two, it does give you just in case you do need a little bit more time to do something. It, it does give you that that time. But then thirdly, you can build on that. You can start scaling scaling up from there. And it's easy then, for example, if you then go from a, a 4v4 plus 3 to potentially a 6v6 plus 4, okay, the players have the understanding as to what's happened before. They have the foundational understanding to then scale up to um, that 6v6 plus 4 in an in an in an easier um, with an easier transition than if they don't have the certain they they don't have the repetition of it, um, and also you can have a different focus. So, of course, you can do uh, you can you can have an attacking practice three v three where you you focus on maybe attacking movement, and then obviously you can flip it to working in defensive unit, for example. So both session so whatever session you have will have those elements to it and you do have to manage that anyway so even if your focus is for example attacking you will have to manage right if the back line is disjointed and they're not one as a, as a unit and they're not pressing covering balance then you might have to stop and say right okay let's try and help them with this so that you can also um support the the development of the attacking element on your first point to me around the philosophy and game model, um, yeah. I, I don't want to cop out on this one because I, I feel like it's an excuse, but I hope it's not an excuse. Like I quite like the teams that I support to be very flexible and adaptable and almost yeah. be able to kind of adjust the way they play compared to opposition. Obviously in grassroots football, we don't get to know who we're playing against really. You know you know the, yeah, the team's yeah, name, yeah. but they, they, they could change from the, you might play in three weeks ago, they might hold a set of players in three weeks later. Um, the pitches are different. So I quite like the adaptability and flexibility in the team. So I, I, we have principles to play definitely and we stick to yes. those. But yeah. like the, the, the technical detail behind some of the stuff, I find it hard because it's quite like, well, if we're doing that one way of playing, that's fantastic. Actually, we've got to be a bit... A, a bit flexible maybe am i am i finding an excuse to being a poor coach or, or is actually that adaptability bit is that not a fair at all, point Scott, to not at all that's, a, that's <laughs> I'm, a I'm quite point. good at that <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a brilliant point and i've had that in in my experience as well where we've been at a tournament we said we're going to play this way then we notice oh no actually we're getting overloaded here we're going to have to change it it doesn't it, it might go against and then we would go back and say look we've had to change it for this reason because Otherwise, we would we weren't helping the players because actually we were just overloaded in this area and we needed another player. Then we needed to change shape to be able to um, cope with the um, with the game challenges. And so I, I think as well. And when you look at the, the 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 top end of the game, I mean, you see what Ange is doing, for example, with the fullbacks in yeah. inside. I mean, it's something that so many we just haven't seen, yeah. and it's the same with what. Pep was doing, for example, and so you have to respond to you do have to respond to that, um, and I think you 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 do the players a disservice if you're not responding to that appropriately. 
Well, it feels like, you know, if we're going to coach youngsters now that are maybe 9, 10, 11, even the 15s, right, to be playing in five and 10 years' time at a decent level and be able to, you know, deal with the challenges ahead of them. Football seems to be moving in one direction where it's more fluid and there's there's more, you know, there's not one way. Of, you can't just take your A game, can you, and go and impose that in your position. And, you know, yeah. good way, if you, if you can, fantastic, well done. If you're Man City, maybe you can do that. But I think even they have to change the way they play sometimes. Even City yeah. do. So if City have to change it, I'm sure my little grassroots <laughs> team have to change on occasion. Yeah, yeah. Um, so actually build or helping support players to be versatile and flexible is 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 that a modern way of where, where football's heading? Definitely, and one of the things I, um, especially in academies, and I would you know talk to my colleagues about, for example, okay, yes, a player may be playing these one or two positions, but when they make their debut, they may make their debut in a completely different position. Yep. For example, Saka making Saka his debut asked, at yeah. left back, yeah. Yeah, ex- exactly. Yeah. Um, you so you you have to have that flexibility um, to be able to to be able to uh, survive at a certain level and then be able to strive and, and thrive and that's that, that's the model that I like to how I like to think about it. There'll be times in academies where you're or even the grassroots club where you're thriving. Then you go to the next challenge and you may just have to survive. You're, okay, mm-hmm. I don't know this position. I've got to learn it. Luke Shaw playing centre back. Okay, I've I've got to learn it right at the top level. I've got to learn how to play that position and play that position well. Uh, Trent, as we see him coming inside now as number four, I've got to learn how to navigate that position. And so I, I do think it's something that players, um, it, it's important coaches do for players, especially from the young a young age. I know there's a tendency to, okay, I want to win the game. Um, you know, th- this player is the quickest, so they've got to just stay up, up front, but you're not giving the player... A, a versatility from a young age and it's really important to to do so for their development and their learning so Timmy, could you talk us through i don't know if this is possible or not but like sure. a typical Timmy session so if you had like a <laughs> grassroots team and under 12s 15s whatever it might be an hour and a half um you know i guess first w- would you have a curriculum would you have like a blocks of things you would focus on I, and i do understand obviously each, each team's a bit different and you might want to know the players first and that kind of stuff sure, but just yeah, generally yeah, yeah. speaking what would it like from that side of you and then what would the actual session itself look like so um obviously getting to know the players but you know is, is, is important um and i can probably go off of you know experience i've had with uh grassroots clubs have asked me to come in so First and foremost, I would start off with some technical um, individual individual stuff and there'll be competitive elements to it. So it might be uh, one, 1v1s um, in a, you know, with, with players um, pressing from behind or in, in front. There'll be some technical elements where they're, they're unopposed or um, they're doing ball juggling skills um, as well. And then from there... I would uh, move on to something small sided. So I'd like to try and as much as possible keep the initial parts of the session high in uh, the amount of touches that players get. So from there, it might be might go into a 2v2 or a, a 3v, 3v3 um, session, where again, that's maintained at a, a high level, the, the ball touches. Potentially could have a carousel, depending if how many coaches are there. So if, for example, there are, if there's another coach or two coaches, I like the idea of having a carousel just because it gives players, um, it, it keeps players' minds active. Okay, I've, I've done this session now, eight minutes, okay, now I'm going into another session. I've got to get to speed quite quickly of what's the what's the intention of, of this particular session. So 
The one before, it might be that, okay, you need to score through through gates, through dribbling, but okay, this next one is around score finishing in, in mini goals um, and it's and it's maybe an overloaded situation. So I like to have those small carousels. And then from, from there, there's something that um, I found players love and it's I, I learned it at, at Fulham actually and I think it's great which is called, um, we called it Fulham Masters and I call it um, MVP, whereby you have two teams and within those, you give them points depending on what they do. So you maybe a point for an assist, point for a save, point for a goal, point for an interception. So it doesn't matter which position you play in, there's a way for you to score points and and the players players love that. Um, and it gives them a... It gives them a particular focus as well as individuals. So, okay, if I'm playing as a centre back this time, okay, it doesn't matter if I can't score. I can still maybe assist. I can still maybe um, make an interception, and that will give me a point as well. And so you can tailor it to what the focus might be for that particular session. Love that. That's brilliant. Superb. <laughs> um, and what about um, kind of like the main practice? And when you got into your main practice, because obviously yeah. you share a lot of stuff out there with regards to. Uh, positional games, I think, and rondos and yeah. that, and like you know, uh, wide players. How, how would you structure the main part of, the, of your theme? Sure. So I think thereafter, um, and if we're looking at time time slots, I'll probably spend uh, roughly, I would say, thirty minutes on the main uh, on the main element. So if just uh, say we say we're picking a topic, um, finishing um, or attacking play from wide areas for example, um, and you've got to maybe have a 6v6, really important to make sure that there's realistic distances. Um, So with its realistic distance to be able to switch play out to the wide areas, there's a realistic distance within the wide area for um, combination plays such as overlaps, underlaps. Um, Maybe if you have, for example, your number 10, if you want to go and make an overlap and run outside for your um, winger to come inside I'll then try to really uh, focus and hone in on particular combinations that we're looking at um, and it won't be everything it would be okay well if I'm focusing on number 10s making over recognizing when to make overlaps into the wide areas um, the wide players recognizing when to make runs inside blind side okay let's focus on those two things and then what's okay let's peel it back right uh, midfield three when do you you need to play in what's the recognition when you switch play what's the recognition when you when you go on the outside um and from there that would then build into the into the ssg but i think it's really important to not have more than probably three elements that you're going to focus on um otherwise as a coach you just you, you can just become paralyzed in trying to see everything and actually you end up not coach hardly coaching anything because you're and it's not connecting as well, because you're just focusing on 10 different things that you want to try to um, uh, support the players on. So maybe have three main coaching kind of points you want to get out in the session and work on those. Exactly. Um, brilliant. And and would you be focused on like a, like a couple of individuals or, or a group of players there? It's like before you say, like trying to create chances or attacking from wide positions, yeah. you're looking at your 10 and your, and your nine, maybe and your, and your, your, your wide players there. You're not ignoring the others, right? But are they your primary focus then in that situation? Yeah, they, they would be the, the primary focus. But then, but first off, it would be the foundation of, okay, do we have height, width and depth as an example? 
because otherwise it'd be very difficult for us to if, if a wide player is staying inside, if the number tens maybe they're starting to drop deep to try and receive the ball, it's a bit disjointed and we're not able to get the, the fluidity of the movement. So it's making the other players understand that your movement right at the start, your movement is crucial to and your positioning, your initial positioning is crucial to enable these things to happen. Um, so straight away, even though the focus might be, okay, yes, we want to um, maximise our attacking in wide areas, you need to understand how your positioning um, and your decision-making is crucial to enable us to do that. And I think doing that straight off the bat will then facilitate for the session going forward. Um, if you don't do that, I do think it, it leaves um, it leaves you with a challenge going forward and you, you're just trying to manage the session then to then, okay, We've got that outcome, but actually the outcome maybe didn't come till 20 minutes down the line when, when if you did that foundation work early, then maybe you would have seen it a bit earlier. Absolutely. And then in just more slowly game, would that be kind of just almost like a normal match, like unopposed, equal size, fully directional? Would, would, would you tend to finish off in almost a, a most realistic game as you can get? Or would you still have maybe constraints in there or neutral players or something? Or would you be quite strict about making it as most game realistic as you possibly can? Yeah, I, th- I think as as game realistic as as possible. It's players, al- although the constraints, um, which are great for a period of time, players ultimately just want to be free and just yeah. uh, just just play. So as much as possible, I might, for example, for one, um, if if I've got thirty minutes, I might say, okay, this first ten minutes, um, we'll give two goals for scoring from wide areas, and we'll have some zones there. Um, it might be split into thirds. It might be. There's a, a small area near the near the corner, for example, um, or it might be okay if your if your wide player manages to finish within the 18 yard area, for example, um, first time. Then we will give two goals, etc. But then after that, definitely take off the take off the constraints and see because ultimately, when it comes to the game, there won't be any constraints. Yeah, absolutely, brilliant, fantastic. Thank you so much for that. That's awesome. It, are there any things that you think as coaches we can sometimes get wrong or some red flags we might want to try and avoid in our sessions? <laughs> so th- this is actually a really interesting question um, because obviously every context is different, but there's one thing that I would definitely say um, a coach should try to as, as much as possible as avoid is their f- the first point they make on a session being a point to say, oh, stop doing this. Oh, you haven't done this well. Your first point is try to make it a point of praise. Highlight what is going well. Because if you highlight that early, then those players who have been highlighted will want to do it again very quickly. The players who haven't been highlighted will want to be highlighted for doing it. Yeah. So you're more likely to get the the, the outcomes that you're looking for um, because you've started on that on that footing, so really important. Try and start very very early on on a on a point of praise, um, and then in terms of stopping sessions, again, there's something I've been guilty of for for many years. You know, stop stand still, and that's the way that I've been taught. You know, stop stand initially, stop stand still, um, freeze. But it's the moments when you are pausing the sessions. So. For example, you don't want to stop the session just before a goal is going to be scored. What do the players do is before, oh, they're they're frustrated. Exactly. And then what happens? You then, (laughs) it's less likely they're going to listen to the information you're going to give. 
Yeah. Of course, the defending team are happy because they've, they've not conceded. <laughs> yeah. But, <laughs> but the players who, who haven't scored, they're like, oh, I was just about to, to score. So it's really important to recognise when you're going to stop the session. And if it's just for an individual, you, again, you don't want to just point, the, point an individual out. It's best just to either walk alongside them or pull them off the pitch. And yes, their team may be um, overloaded for a moment, but it's better to do it that way, for example, pulling off an individual than if you're going to stop the whole group. I think if you're going to stop the whole group, it's because you've seen something happen a number of times with multiple players um, or that requires multiple players to do certain movements. Um, so I think uh, I think that's that's definitely something that coaches should to try and keep to yeah. Part of the interventions are really important. I think there's, there's nothing more frustrating when you're watching and you see uh, a session and they might have like a four be four on four, you know, four be four and four off kind of thing. And it's first goal yeah, and you yeah, go on yeah. and you see like a game off like two or three minutes. And you know, then the other team comes on and, and loses in like 10 seconds, goes off again, it's off another two or three minutes, then comes on and then the coach stops sitting on it when it's yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> they been off like 10 minutes. Yeah. Give, them, give them a chance, she's having a bit of a run with the ball. Go, but, yeah. yeah. And the last thing I, was, I just wanted to say, Scott, is um. So I, I understand the anxiety and um, frustrations, frustrations of coaches sometimes around their sessions and wanting it to to look right, especially in the in early on in one's journey, thinking oh, I've got to get this this right. You know, this has to look this way. Um, and it was, it was really interesting because I had the experience um, back when one of my friends was doing their UEFA A license and it was pass or fail. I said, "Look, Tammy, can you just come um, so that you can be my right back?" everything i tell you to do can you just can you, can you just do it please so i i came down i did that thankfully he passed you could have really stitched him up couldn't you you were like yeah. you're a good friend <laughs> um and i mean i mean after the after the the game that i had actually quite a few of the coaches wanted me to stay to be there right back as, <laughs> as well um but of course coaching isn't like that yeah, it's not a case of right. You do this, do not this. A show, this. is it? No, it's yeah. all organising um, for you. Yeah, ex- exactly. And and so it's really important to accept that what you have planned, um, it may not go as planned, and it also can go better as planned. Yes. So try not to get as attached to your session, um, as uh, you know, because you it's it's important that you you can just see what's happening and um and and adjust accordingly. Great advice. Thanks, Amy. Brilliant. And just stepping back then from the session itself, if it yeah. was you, I mean, a lot of listeners I know are kind of grassroots volunteer coaches, you know, good yeah. coaches and invested yeah. in, in the hobby and the craft. Um, if if you were taking the team for one or two training sessions a week and a match of the weekends, would you have a, an overriding curriculum for their development or would you go yeah. almost game by game and see what they needed? Um, how would you approach like the, the I guess the macro sides with the, the, yeah. the, the, the thing that sits above the session? Yeah, good, good question again. Um, firstly, I want to say grassroots coaches. You know, I used to be a, a grassroots coach um, for for a while. Do a phenomenal job, absolutely phenomenal job. Foundation of um, football in this country. Um, you know, there's there's 1.4 million volunteer coaches doing a fantastic job, making sure kids enjoy their football and have and have a brilliant experience and it's not um, easy right it's not easy it's it is, not, it's think not it is. easy yeah. it is not at all um and uh, going on going on your point your question definitely i would have a curriculum so i worked with a grassroots um team last year myself and uh 
my my business partner uh, we worked with with a grassroots team and the first thing that we did was look at or first three things look at their vision look at their um, training syllabus and look at their philosophy and within that training syllabus we talk about curriculum we had macro and micro cycles for them to focus on because otherwise what can happen is that you just respond to the game every single week and there's no continuity for the for the players if you conceded three goals from a um from 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 a corner then you're focused on defending from corners and then next week you um you concede goals from through the central areas then you're focusing on defending central areas there's no continuity for the players and you need to be able to support them with through their development by having a a, a continuous um curriculum and if your aim is to also support players to go to the next level when they go into academies there's a curriculum and so you're setting them up for also um, being in an environment where there will be a curriculum which they will have to, um, which they they'll they'll experience, and you want to make sure that they have the the, the foundations for that. Awesome, thank you so much. Um, okay, question now. This is going a little bit off piece a little bit, I guess. No, go for it. it. If it's okay with you to ask, this yeah, one. love the, love it. Um, there's a lot of i think even more so now than ever before a lot of desire for young players to find themselves or get themselves into the academy system mm. um you know especially if, you know if you're working with i guess the, the the stronger grassroots teams out there it becomes a bit of a you know uh, a hotbed of you know yeah yeah, of yeah everyone kind of that that's the target um now I, i'm not you know whether the kids are capable of it's a different conversation, I guess. But, you know, what what advice and tips have you got, as much for coaches as for players, I guess, and how we can best help players to become the best they can be? I'm not even saying get in the academy system, but actually what can be the best they can be? Because what I see a lot of now is actually just these kids that are good kids with good parents just trying to basically play as much as they can and literally playing maybe four games a weekend genuinely and training every day. And I don't know if that's the best way of getting where they need to get to because it's doing the same thing again and again and again yeah, and it's yeah. it's quantity rather than quality but that that's perceived as a one way to kind of ca- get a scout's eye or you know or get in yeah. the right thing and stuff and i'm just thinking do, do we need to dial down a little bit and think actually yeah, what's the best way to develop our players so they can become the best they can be good question so for me and uh, i think the initial thing that um, we need to remember as, as coaches and i remember on a course i was on uh, this was said and, and it's always stuck with me they only have one childhood. And so it's our responsibility to ensure that we facilitate it in the best way possible. And if that is just, okay, they want to enjoy just playing football. And that means one session a week, one game a week, fine. Enjoy that. And they're a happy child. Fantastic. Um, If they say, actually, I want to go again. I want to do three, three, four times a week. I really love this. Great can facilitate it facilitate that um but just make sure that um you're being you're you're giving the 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 child the best experience possible um because they're they're just not going to get that back again and i think um it's really important for um for players and, and coaches also just to be to be honest so for example and i know they are coaches you know they do the best they can for for players um, for example, when we've had uh, camps where we've had grassroots coaches, uh, sorry, grassroots players playing alongside academy players, one of the things we, we tell them is, do you know the statistic of 
how many individuals make it to be professional football players and they're like, oh, 2%, 1%, etc. And I always give them this analogy. If you went to Wembley Stadium, there's 80,000. How many do you think will make it? 100, 200, etc. The statistics are eight. Eight will make it out of 80,000. Now, it's not to scare you or anything like that, but I think it's important that you know early on, okay, this is this is yeah, how many do make it. So then if I want to choose to to still follow that path, okay, this is what I have to do to be able to give myself the best chance. Yeah. Just that reality. Yeah. I think I think I think it's really important. Um because even when players get into the academies, um about ninety percent still won't make it. Yeah. And you've obviously lots of top young players. Um is there some common themes you see in those players? Um, I mean, is it just the fact, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I, the, the perception here is you just got to play lots and lots and lots. And I, I'm not, don't get yeah. me wrong, I'm all for grafting, you, you know, whatever you want to get good at, you got yeah. to put the hours in. I'm not saying it's not the case, but there's surely there's a point where it becomes more, you know, can productive to be playing too much where actually if you've got to perform, if you've got to, pre- if you've got to put that many hours into that certain level of performance, you know, maybe, maybe you'll just need to be a bit patient and you'll get there maybe eventually, but that's not the way of going about it. Or is it just like, just throw the hours at it and, and that's your best chance. Or is it quality of training and being in the right environments? Yeah. That's a better trade-off than just the hours. So it, really interesting over the, over the last few years, um, something that I've recognized and I'm sure a lot of people have, or a lot of coaches have is the amount of, additional sessions that even academy players are doing absolutely even on top of what they're already doing at the academy so additional one-to-one sessions um playing with other academy players in camps training sessions i think sometimes players are maybe only getting two sorry two to four weeks off in a year now even at that even at that that young age um now it's it's hard to say, okay, well, yeah, you should completely stop it, especially if the players enjoying it and they're doing very well. Um, but at this, but at the same point, it can have the opposite effect that they do all this and think, how come I haven't got to this point yet? Because I'm doing all of this, etc. So when you talk about the quality, the quality is crucial um as well, because you can you can train, but you can train the wrong thing, you can be taught the wrong thing, and then you have to unlearn that. But um, there's only a limited period of time. So it's really important. And that's one of the things for, that I always encourage grassroots players is get to try and be around players who are academy players. So if there are camps where you can go to, go to it so you can understand the level of technical e- excellence that they do have. Yeah. Um, and that can encourage you. And um, I've I've been privileged to see grassroots players so after three years, four years, end up going and playing in academies and getting to where they want to get to um, because of that. So uh, I think it's important to do that. But in terms of minutes, especially if you're injured, don't, don't, yeah, because if you get, if you have a continued overuse injury from a young age, it can be very difficult. Then when you go, um, when you, as you get older, well, look, that's the other point there, I guess. And again, this is a completely unfair question. You, I'm not, you know, answer this as an expert by any stretch because yeah. you're not a doctor. Were you to use a, a different part? <laughs> yeah. But you could have been. Um, but I, I worry slightly that these kids. I mean, they're under 12s. They play a lot of football, and it's all high intensity. Mm. I mean, it's good. Like you know, it's it's yeah. good. But they, they, there's a saying going around now that you may have heard it yourself: "No days off." And I don't like that. To me, it's a bit worrying because yeah. you've got 12 year olds playing 
not not just for we play football as kids like every night, but we yeah. weren't not yeah. like this, not like how these kids are playing. You know, it's hundred miles yeah. an hour. They've all got a ball each. The high ball rolling time. You know, often on three G, where it's a little bit more unforgiving than maybe grass yes. can be. Yeah. Um, oh, we set it and again. I'm not. This isn't. You know, I don't want to ask this in a way that's kind of a statement because of, I'm sure we don't know. But there's the potential, isn't there, that they we could have some longer term negative outcomes from this physically and, and emotionally, and by by playing so much concentrated high level high intensity football at such a young age and I think this is the first generation to do this in the academy system maybe they've done it for a little bit longer because they're ahead of the game but again yeah. it's managed like you say in the academies they'll manage their workloads what they do outside you can't always manage but in grassroots yeah. football we've got kids playing for three or four different grassroots clubs you know or teams training yeah. most nights of the week um, where it isn't necessarily managed and, and, and then they're training really hard I wonder if that will impact in 10 years time on knees and ligaments and joints as well as obviously the emotional side of the game I completely agree and I, th- I think it's if if you're doing that, I think the coaches themselves need to say, okay, no, you don't come. Um, that's one of the things. For example, uh, players who I have come to me, I said, look, have you got? Did you have a game yesterday? Do you have a game tomorrow? We when are you going to have a game? Otherwise, no, you're not going to do the session, or we will um, alter the session because I don't want to give you. You you can't come to me and then get an injury. Um, because I've then not done my job because my, the most important thing that you need to do is the safeguarding the players to make sure that from a mental and a physical perspective, they um, they have what they need. So mm-hmm. if they're players who are every day, no days off, I, I don't agree with that. Yeah. And the consequences might not be today, right? It's well, we can keep going, can't we? But, you know, it might be when you're 22, 23, suddenly you pay the price for what you did when you were a bit younger because exactly. we just don't know, do we? And, and it's almost like we're a victim of our own success because, I, I, look, the coaching's good. I mean, it's better than the old days when we're standing around one ball between us and passing back yeah, and forth yeah. and doing things. We, we fixed that issue, but are we potentially creating another one down the road? But it's an unfair question because you're not a doctor, you're a quality <laughs> football coach. So let's get back on topic. Um, I'm interested to know, given you, your journey so far and, how, and yeah. obviously the world you're in and what you're doing with the Exxon Academy, me how do you see potentially football evolving for our younger players you know the, the yeah. ydp phase kind of thing over the next maybe five to ten years are, are where we are where we're going to stay or do you see things on the horizon that may change what, what we're going to be doing yeah. with these kids uh what, one thing i can definitely say and i've, I've heard it from um players and even ex-players that the the technical ability of players now is definitely um increased on average um so i think that that will continue to be the be the case especially with the fact of having specialist coaches outside and even specialist coaches coming inside the um, into academies um, to help really continue to refine those those details, uh, so that I, I think that that's definitely going to be the case within grassroots as well. You're seeing how uh, grassroots clubs are having VO cameras, for example, um, using player maker on boots. So the you know the advent of tech within football. Yes, we might be behind some of the other sports, but I think that's only going to keep increasing within um, within our game. And one of the things that I would love to see more of, and there's only one club that I've been at where I had this experience, is different sports. So we did combat, for example. Um, I'd love to see a chessboard and chessboards within some, you know, some some football clubs, um, dodgeball that they can play different sports and games that are just that that, that are engaging for for players exciting it gives them something different to 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 think about 
I think that's great. I, I remember going to an Arsenal under 10 session a year or two back and um, they started off with American football. They were doing a bit of that yeah, stuff around. Are. It was Brilliant. just a bit multi-sport. Yeah. So like it was great to see. And, you know, I, I think also as parents, back to the point before about no days off and playing a lot, maybe you're better off playing a lot of football, but also then subtracting some of that time for another sport that's a bit different. Yeah. So you're still getting the, you know, the physical returns, but actually you're kind of, you're getting a bit of a, a you know, a timeout from that one early specialization thing and doing some other sports, maybe martial exactly. arts or swimming or something is exactly you know can have returns as well and and the other thing and it's i don't know how much it's it's talked about but it was something that i was made aware of um a few years ago i know it's it's a very difficult topic to to discuss but divorce and how that impacts um football players so i think on what i was made aware of especially around that age 10 to 12 to 13 years of age that's where they've seen a higher percentage of divorce happening. And that's obviously an important transition for um, for young people in general, going mm. from primary school into secondary school. school. And it's that's how awesome. you can manage that as a, as a, as a coach. Um, obviously there is, you know, the, 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 there'll be the, the psych team who can support if you're afforded um, that, that opportunity within, within a club um, who has the, the level of finances to do so. But it's 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 important to recognise that because that will have a, a a massive impact on the on the young person. Well, I think you said from the very beginning, one of the most important things you learned on your journey was about knowing your players, isn't it? And knowing yeah. that background, it's not about prying or having to like know every detail, but actually just being aware of the the, the external factors that might impact on them. If yeah. They come late to training or they're a bit grumpy one day. Let's not give them a hard, you know, it's just know a bit more before you jump to conclusions, right? Just exactly. Yeah. Success might be a, a player getting, they might be late, 30 minutes late, but actually they're traveling They've come an hour, an hour and a half, half and yeah. actually that success getting them, them getting there at that time. Yeah, is a win itself. Brilliant. Yeah. Well, tell me that. Thanks so much. Look, I, I think besides the getting to know your players bit, which was obviously a great bit of advice, you know, the idea of making sure you know your philosophy and your game model, making sure you play it, you plan with the end in mind, um, letting the session breathe. I love that, you know. Um, and I particularly love the MVP game where you kind of allocate points for stuff. <laughs> players so, love it. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 honestly, I like, I, I'm because that's that's a, that's a one of me kind of games that is like we. Yeah, do, yeah, do, yeah. I've never done it that way before, so I love that one. It's brilliant. Um, before we talk a bit about you and. and and what you're going to do next or in, in yeah. where your, your future plans are. Just one more question. That's okay. We ask all our guests sure. this question. Um, you, may, you may have covered it, so feel free to repeat if you need yeah. to, but if it's something different, is your chance to speak. Um, is there, if there was one thing you could change, just one about the world of coaching and football, um, what might that be? I have two, if you don't. Oh, go on then. I always say, yeah. well, of course you can have two. Yeah, you've earned two, definitely. So the, the first one is sessions in a different language. I'd love to see more sessions in a different language. Why? Because one, as a player, if you if you're actually going to go to that top level, you will play with players who do speak different languages. Or if you want to travel abroad, two, it's a life skill. It's a life skill for anyone. Um, so I'd love to to see that. The second thing on that one, just Chris Quilly, well, yeah. I struggle with doing them in English. So, like, I would embrace <laughs> the challenge, but I've got to get past the English by first. But yeah. fact, like, we don't often get one that no one's ever said before. So, that's definitely a first, but I totally understand that would be fantastic. So, thank you for that one. But go and get, have your second no one as well. Second one, very quickly. Um, are the financial structures for coaches? Now, um, I, I was privileged to be at a, a club whereby they increased your pay depending on as you got more badges but also the amount of years that you were there um and i know that there are other 
um, places whereby coaches may just be on the same wage going 10 years, 20 years. Um, and it's important and they, they need to have three, four jobs to sustain themselves. So I think it's important that the remuneration structure is looked at um, because I know also of, of individuals who are doing fantastically in terms of grassroots and they're still able to work with academy players and academies have asked them, oh, can you come in? Said no, because I'm getting paid more doing what I'm doing individually than if I was to come into your academy. So there is a there is a challenge that you may that you may not get the I don't say the best coaches in the academies, but those who um, miss out on other coaches you know, that like, could have been there. Yeah. yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, it's funny because I I know quite a few coaches that were in the academy system that actually moved away now to do one to one sessions or anything because they can work their own hours, they can earn more money, and it's, you know exactly. their own families now. It's not that they didn't love it; they loved it before, but it's a hard job, right? It's evenings and weekends. If you've got if you've got a young family and stuff, it's hard to you know to put yeah. the money. If you can earn the same money or more, kind of having some more flexible hours. Um, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, brilliant. So, thank you so much. You've been an absolute star to me. Really appreciate that. It's been a Look, pleasure. Now, a bit about you, kind of. So, you you, you know, what's, what's your plans for the next couple of years? I know you've got yeah. a young one now as well. That's going yeah, yeah, yeah. to take a couple of time. But, you know, <laughs> what, what, what are you, what, how are things looking for you in the next two to five years? Brilliant. So, um, firstly, it's continuing to add more value to, to coaches. I've, I realise that I've been in a privileged position on um, the journey that I've gone on. And there's a lot of coaches who just need support, insight and I'm going to continue to do that over social media to my newsletter. I want to to continue to to grow that and add value to to coaches that way as well. And coaches, I've seen that we're looking at a uh, a, a platform, a coaching platform um, with the advent of AI. We're looking at how we can really give coaches what they need through utilizing AI. I can't talk too much more about it, Scott, but uh, <laughs> well, it's the, something the that we're is always the open when you're ready to make an, a formal announcement around that world. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> um, it's funny because AI obviously is creeping up everywhere and you kind of sometimes yeah. think, well, how is it going to get in there? But it, it does find a way of getting there. And I think the people that embrace yeah. it earlier and make the most of it are the ones that are going to, you know, you know, have the successes of, of it being around. So it's, yes. it's exciting to hear there's something on your radar. Um, and when you can share more, please do. I will do so. I will do so. <laughs> If people want to find out more about you, the yep. work you're doing, everything else, what's the best way? Of maybe can they reach out to you? I mean, you were kind enough to respond back to us pretty quickly, but you know, is that something that's open to everyone? And if so, how can they go about it? Yes, of, of course. So on um, they can they can follow me on X um, at become underscore excel. Can either drop sometimes drop me a message on uh, some of the posts I do, or they can DM me LinkedIn. You can message me as well, Tamsin Williams, and I'll I'll respond to you by by message. And then the um, the coaches newsletter, so you can subscribe to the coaches newsletter as well, um, and give me your thoughts. I get the newsletter. I love it. I think it's brilliant. I'd highly recommend everyone to jump on that one and get it. It's appreciate the work you put into it. It's fantastic. I don't know how you find enough hours in the day to put out the tweets you put out and the, the newsletters and everything else that you do. You obviously manage your time very, very well. And I think the the medical profession's loss was definitely very much the football <laughs> world's gain. So, uh, thank I you so much. That, Scott. Would you come back on again in the future and have another discussion around something else? A hundred and ten percent. Maybe we can flip it around next time, and I can. Oh, I'll be used to this. There's no way. No, no. I've got the easy job asking the questions. I don't know. So, thank you so much. That the doors always open. It'd be a privilege to get back on again, and we can join some of this stuff in more detail. But for now, Cheers. please keep sharing the content. It's you know, it's a massive help. But I know, I know it is certainly used for me and the people I speak to. So, thanks so much for doing that. Keep it up, and um, I look forward to catching up with you again soon. Thanks a lot, Scott. You too. 
This episode is brought to you in association with our friends at Soccer Coach Weekly. Established since 2006, Soccer Coach Weekly is a leading source of inspiration and advice for all grassroots coaches. Join thousands of youth soccer coaches just like you, saving time and effort in their goal of having the most effective, enjoyable and successful coaching journey for them and their players. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Thank you.